founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Ami Baum. Ami is the CEO and founder of Interchange Capital Partners. Ami is a certified financial planner and received the Executive Certificate in Financial Planning from Duquesne University School of Leadership and Professional Advancement, and was also named to the Barron's Top 1000 Financial Advisor list. Having experienced firsthand the challenges of financial hardship, Ami has built his practice on the compassionate understanding of each client's unique circumstances. Ami is committed to giving his clients the guidance, education, and resources they need to make wise financial decisions that help them grow and protect their wealth while achieving their goals. Using a collaborative and comprehensive process developed over 40 years of practice in financial services, Ami has built a team that has passion for what they do that executes for each client's unique needs. He and his team consistently strive to deliver a wow client experience. So please welcome Ami. Ami, thank you for being here. Drew, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I know that we could likely probably start a variety of places, but for our audience, help us understand why financial planning, services, business, the, the, why did you go down that route? Well, I, I went down that route, frankly, because uh, my father uh, used to tell me when I would ask for things when I was younger, he would say, what do you think? Money grows on trees? And uh, so I, that's where I started. Uh, it looked to me, we lived in a you know, middle-class neighborhood and certainly looked like there were plenty of money trees growing around in my neighbor's yard, but not in mine. Um, so, and it all came to a head when I um, got accepted to college and I came home very excited. And my father said, that's great. How are you going to pay for it? I said, what? <laughs> Here I was thinking, you know, he had it all together around money. And, and that really uh, helped me recognize uh, that he was walking a tightrope without a safety net. Sure. Uh, and that had major impact that I was unaware of growing up between the relationship with my mother and him that ultimately led to the destruction of the family. So unbeknownst to me at that time, I had subconsciously decided that I was going to do whatever it took to create some economic security, some financial security. Uh, as a result of that, I was working uh, in the restaurant business um, to put my way through college and met a gentleman and worked with him and decided that uh, um, he told me that his father was a stockbroker at EF Hutton and uh, he got me a job. I didn't know anything about money. I didn't know anything. So the, the answer was that I recognized early that financial security was an important part uh, to get right. And fortunately ended up getting a position with a major Wall Street firm at an early, at a young age, 24, and became successful with that, um, that led me down this path. Um, you know, financial security is an issue that everybody has, no matter, it's interesting. I used to believe that you know, if you had enough money, you, financial security wasn't 
but I had people with tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars that are financially insecure. Uh, so there's something about all of this. And I've been fortunate over the 40 plus years to uh, be able to be in the middle of that mm. uh, and serve people to help reduce that anxiety on one level and then to help support them um, in terms of their businesses and you know as money comes in how to work with them so yeah well I, i'd like to start there just for a second because i've seen what you're talking about which is i'm sure you know the statistic but i was surprised by it learning how much how large the percentage of the population actually was living paycheck to paycheck right and experiencing the no margin constant worry stress and obviously the effects we know you know one of the main cause of divorce is going to be money issues, right? Uh, and all the downstream effects. So there's the objective part of financial security that you're talking about. But then you mentioned something that is also curious to me, which is, I guess, subjective. I'm, I'll take your lead on that. But the people that have millions of dollars, yet still internally don't feel a sense of security. They, they still have anxiety around uh, financial stability. That was the shock to me as well. <laughs> Because yeah. I came from nothing and I thought, well, if you have everything, you know, but again, a lot of people don't realize that um, people live paycheck to paycheck, no matter how big your paycheck is. Mm. That's part of the issue. And then the secondary, there's just a natural phenomenon around, I think we're built as human beings to try to protect ourselves. And when you are in a position, uh, and we work with a lot of people that have already transitioned out of their professional life or their, their businesses, and they have this pot of money that has to work for them, and the unknown of the future really weighs heavily on them. So there's no predictability. You know, we're going through that now in the marketplaces. It's, it's very challenging for people. So it's a real great opportunity to, to help support and guide people to successful outcomes, to help them build those bigger futures around that. And again, whether you are living paycheck to paycheck because you think you don't make a lot or because you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're still making a lot. It's still, it, that, that, there's a lot of similarities in that. Um, yeah. So. Well, it sounds like too, let's, let's say a separate case is the paycheck to paycheck, even if you're making a lot. If you're the person that has that margin, they've got millions in investments or in the bank or something, and they're still anxious. It sounds like part of the, the lessening of the anxiety that you're able to provide them is the fact that they have someone like you helping guide them through the ups and downs of the economy and the decisions to be made and those types of things. Is that, is that part of the comfort that they start to receive? Yeah, is that uh, we, we help, exactly. We help build a structure around them that helps them eliminate some of those dangers and fears helps them capture opportunities and support the strengths that they, they already have. So it's, it's building a structure that allows them to uh, function through this with the understanding that uh, you know, we, our purpose at our firm, Interchange Capital Partners, is we sit at that interchange between the known and the unknown to protect and grow family capital. And we have built over the last 44 years, 
um, a lot of owner empathy. We've built a, a lot of experience. We've been through, I just checked this morning, I think this is the ninth bear market that I've been through in 44 years. Wow. So we've learned a lot of lessons in terms of how to help people navigate through these challenges. And that's not just on the financial side. You know, I'm a human being. I've had my own personal challenges. I have also worked on myself, you know, in terms of coaching and all kinds of ways to be able to grow as a human being and be able to work with my own anxieties and fears around the, the human condition. So, you know, that's the, the benefit. I was telling my wife as I turned 67, all the wisdom I have, but my joints hurt. And I wish I could still run and ski and do all that. You know, there's a there's a saying that, you know, the youth is wasted on the youth. For, but, you know, because you got all this wisdom, but nonetheless, it is what it is. And, you know, all the wisdom and intellectual capital that I've developed over the years uh, has been, uh, you know, very valuable. And I want to share that. And I'm thankful to you to be able to go out there and, you uh, um, help your listeners and your people um, become successful and learn, maybe make it an easier glide path, you know, uh, for them if possible. So shorten that, uh, that steep learning curve, you know, for some of them. So one thing that I wasn't planning on asking you, but I realize now I would be remiss not to at least get your take on it, is you've lived through, like you said, dozens of different stages of economic growth and recession and all sorts of things. In your opinion, where are we right now? For the average person like me, I have no clue. You got certain people saying it's going one way, you got everyone else saying we are in the middle of, we're about to experience a recession we've never seen before, batting down the hatches. In your experience, from your point of view, help us understand maybe what we're in right now. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a um, somewhat of a, definitely a paradigm shift. We have been living with uh, declining interest rates for as long as I've been in the business. Now, it doesn't mean that there's a difference in our business between secular, which is long-term, and cyclical, which is short-term. Okay. So we have lived in a secular, long-term, disinflationary period, which has brought interest rates down, to give you a an example, I bought my first duplex and ran to the bank to lock up 15 and a half percent mortgage. Okay? That was back in the uh, early 80s. Today, people are complaining and thinking everything's going to shut down because mortgage rates, which were at sub three, are now at five and a quarter. Right. I, so I think that that gives some perspective. So the first thing is, on a long-term secular issue, we have been in declining. So I think this is where the question is, is that secular move coming to an end? And we're starting a new secular long-term of rising and rising interest rates, rising and rising inflation uh, with it. So during that period, however, we've had lots of cyclical periods where interest rates went up. And so what's happening now is the marketplace and everyone's trying to get their hands around and we've had a couple of shocks to the system. We had the pandemic. So now we had, originally we had supply chain issues. 
Now we've got a war in Ukraine that adds to supply issues. And we also are having some issues around this idea of is global trade really valuable? Because a lot of us are sitting there saying, no, I'm, you know, and I hear this and, you know, I'm an independent. So I just want to get that clear. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I vote both ways. Okay. I'm an independent. A lot of people who sit there who believe that the reason why we're in trouble is because we've adopted this global mindset. From an economic perspective, having a global mindset makes a lot of good sense. If you think about our economy as a very mature economy, and you look at some African economies or you look at some South Asian economies that are less mature, there's an evolution that needs to go on. So there's things that a mature economy won't do in terms of work that a immature or a, a, a child, you know I mean, economy will. So there's this now this idea is globalization broke and therefore, are supply chain issues going to be more and more of a challenge, which means inflation is going to be more and more of a challenge. The Federal Reserve historically has been had a pretty easy road. They pumped the system with money like they should have done. They may have overdone it. And so now we got to sort of take away a little bit of that. And as that happens, the anxiety grows, the markets go into this bear market, but people are forgetting that the markets always go through bear markets. So the, the storyline of the US market is bull markets are followed by bear markets. And the, the actual economics behind that is simple. When you're in a bull market, you tend to double your money. When you're in a bear market, you lose a third. Oh, wow. If that's the storyline and that works that way, then you want to be invested in the market. Because you're going to, if, and if it's oh, pretty okay, regular, right, you're going to profit with it. Yeah. However, here's the catch. And this is what I learned from a stockbroker in 1979 when I first got started. He said, bull markets go up in nickels and dimes. Bear markets drop in quarters and half dollars. Bear markets happen very quickly, very violently. We've, we, it takes, we've lost 20 some odd percent, which is the definition of a bear market. And it's happened within less than six months. It could take a number of years. It could take two or three years to make 20% in a bull market. So I, I think we're in a certainly challenging period but we've got very low unemployment, if you believe the numbers. I think there's a lot of people that are out. Everywhere you turn, at least in Pittsburgh, you know, I imagine the same thing's happening in Atlanta. There's for higher signs everywhere. Now, again, I don't know the quality of the work and what right. they're hiring for you know, with it. So we're in a challenging period because there's the potential for a paradigm shift of a secular trend of lower and lower interest rates disinflation, which means things cost less and less. And now all of a sudden, things are costing more and more. And we have to adjust to that. And the marketplace will adjust to that. Because when you the way you value companies 
you value them based upon a discount rate. Remember, when you own a company, you just don't own a piece of paper. You actually own the future profits and earnings. So you have to figure out, and there's a mathematical formula that you figure out to determine what the value is. And when interest rates go up, that value automatically comes down. But this could all be temporary. Yeah. If the Federal Reserve, so we may be talking about this a year from now, say oh, this was one of those cyclical moments and the secular bull market that's been intact is still here and the secular decline in interest rates is still here. So that's why I say to you, we sit at that interchange between what we know, the known and the unknown. Yeah. Nobody really knows. And when it comes to money, there's a natural anxiety and there's always this idea that, oh my God, I'm going to lose it all. Uh, you know, and that's where I think the value of having an entrepreneurial spirit and the ability to understand that if you lost it all, you could get it back. Mm. How are you going to get it back? What are the steps that are necessary to get it back? You mentioned to me a great story about what happened to you during the pandemic. It happened to a lot of people sure. during the pandemic. And there are those that actually thrived through the pandemic. And there are those that are barely survived and frankly didn't survive. And I think a lot of it has to do with the entrepreneurial mindset around what does what problem are you trying to solve out there? What value are you creating out there? And when it comes to the marketplace, remember, people forget there's thousands and thousands of people every single day who run these companies that you own through stock ownership that are working to solve problems every day, that are working to create profits every day, that are working to try to navigate this very challenging period. Yeah. Uh, I've got a follow-up question to that, but I want to make one note that you just touched on because it was big for me. So uh, anxiety is something I'm familiar with. I think yeah. part of it's genetic. Yeah. It's, um, it's the human condition. Right. The other part got exacerbated when I decided to be an entrepreneur at age 30 with already you know, a young family and the ups and downs of everything and COVID hitting, whatever. So I remember talking to my therapist about it saying, I want to I get to the root of this, man. Like, help me better navigate this. And one of the things he said is very similar to your point is he said, you have to recognize the difference between external security and internal security. And he said, most people have external security or they look for external security, which is that I have the right plan, that the circumstances are just right, that my bank account's okay. And he said, I'd invite you to check out internal security, which is the belief that I can handle whatever comes my way. Right. And that was a big shift for me. It's not easy. But I at least know what the target is. The target has been, hey, if I'm feeling shaken, I need to come back to the confidence and belief that I can figure out whatever's going to happen. I can, if I lose it all, we can apply ourselves the same skills we've learned, find a new opportunity, and I can handle it, right? right. And that was really eye-opening to me to say, man, a lot of this is because my, my security is external in nature. It's, it's banking on the things around me instead of learning to trust the thing within me, which is my effort the skills I've acquired, you know, all that kind of stuff that I could apply in an entrepreneurial way. So you, you mentioned that and I just thought I'd capture that because that was a huge lesson for me. Yeah, let me, let me just add another way to look at anxiety. Sure. Anxiety gets created when you are not present and you're looking into the future. 
and you say, well, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. So the question I would ask everybody is, how often have you looked into the future and built that story of what was going to happen? How often did it come true? Yeah, hardly, I will, hardly ever. That's right. I will tell you in my life, I have built phenomenal stories that got me very anxious and very fearful. And the vast majority of them didn't come true. Yeah. And so to, I would suggest that another way to deal with anxiety is stay present. Yeah. A lot of times I talk with clients and I says, wait a second, do you have enough money to pay the bills today? Do you have enough money to pay the bills this week? Regard So staying present, we have a great tendency as human beings to terrorize ourselves. Yes. You know, I have this statement that I repeat every morning and mm -hmm. I learned it. And it's what it goes like this. What would someone who loved themselves do? And the first first thing that comes to my mind is stop terrorizing myself. Yes. You know, stop creating all the boogeymen and all the monsters out there. It's like I, it's like you told me what happened to you. Your son had a nightmare last night. We create these nightmares for ourselves all, all the right. time. And one of the ways is to stay present. And we've got great tools today to be able to stay present. We've got, you know, meditation today is not something that is out on the, on the fringe. Bridges, you can yeah. get a meditation app right now. You know, I highly recommend uh, that people meditate. I've been doing it religiously for decades now, wow. uh, you know, meditating, and it helps. It helps center you. It helps keep you present so that you can, to your point, deal with whatever life throws at you. Yeah. Um, you know, and no so, one, no one teaches us that. That's why. No. I, I mean, I can't say no one. It's starting to become part of the popular, um, you know, culture, but. It, it's a little bit too late, at least for my generation, you know, like, right. but it's not for your kids. That's right. And if you start, and, and I'm a big believer that you can say whatever you want to say, but evidence by demonstrated how is the next question. So if you live a life by example, and my kids have seen me you know, I remember that uh, my rabbi who called one time, like 20 or 25 years ago, and my son said, he's meditating right now. He can't talk to you. <laughs> and he called me, he called me, I said, that was the most amazing thing I ever heard from one of a young child who just acknowledged the fact that my father's meditating yeah. you know, out there. So it's about, so we, part of what I believe our responsibility is is to make it better for the next generation. So how do you do that? It's by example, by doing these things. And the fact that we're talking openly about anxiety, the fact yep. that we talk openly about going to therapy, that we talk openly about these things, yep. really sets the stage for a much better future. And that's also can reduce that anxiety. When you start to be able to build, when your future is bigger than your past, then you have hope. And with that hope starts to reduce the anxiety as well. Come on. Come on. That's yes, man. I mean, you're describing the, the intimate learning curve. I, I say intimate because anxiety is such a personal feeling, you know, and right. uh, it feels like you're getting and rewiring your own brain. Yep. Um, but uh, several things that I even know from a little bit of research on you that I know you would agree, but exercise has been critical for me. Yep. Um, 
getting back, you know, one of the ways that I've heard one person say is when you move your body, you ground your mind. Yep. It kind of forces it into the present and it releases all these great chemicals. Yep. Uh, I eat well, yep. uh, trying to get good sleep. My neuroscientist friend was like, hey man, worst thing you can do for your anxiety is be sleep deprived. You need that. Right. <laughs> plenty of sleep. Yeah. Uh, and then also meditation, same thing. I, it's only been recent in the last year, at least once a day, but twice a day if I need it, it's the thing I at least now know what to do. If I feel the water level rising, Right. I'm getting in the future. I'm yep. getting, I'm getting out of the present and I got to come back to that present, just like you mentioned. And right. so I feel just grateful that there are tools. At first it felt like there's nothing you can do about this. You just have to live with this stressed, overwhelmed feeling all the time. And, uh, thankfully there's people out there like yourself and other teachers that are letting us know, Hey, there's actual tools we can work with towards hope and gratitude and presence and peace and those kinds of things. But it's important to understand that even us quote unquote teachers and, I love the term, you know, and I feel that way. We struggle too. So I have my three success strategies that I, that became non-negotiable when I became 50 years of age. One was meditation. So I wake up every morning. The first thing I do is a 20 minute mindfulness meditation. It's amazing. The second thing that I did, and I struggled with weight, I struggled with all kinds of health issues and stuff is I went plant-based. Mm. I've, I've now been a plant-based. I, I don't want to call myself vegan. I changed that because it wasn't an animal, even though I love animals, but it really was for life, for health. So it's plant-based. And then the last thing to your point is I found yoga as my tool for um, moving my body and being in touch with my body on a regular basis. And I'm very proud because it's my five minutes of miracle that I can do a five minute headstand in the middle what? of the room. Yes, sir. <laughs> and it's like, when I come, I, I am scared to death to do it. I'm in it. And it's, and I get, I confront fear and I confront all kinds of things, but I do it. And when I come out of it, I say, oh my God, you just did this. So I encourage everyone who's listening to find those. It's what you said. When I know no matter what life throws at me, with those three as my grounding principles every single day, I'll be able to find a way to deal with it. I mean, yeah. it wasn't easy at age 65 to leave the comfort of Wall Street and big banks to go start my own firm. It was a very, I mean, you know, I, I started and as my son, he says, yeah, we're a startup with a 44 year, 42 year history, but I had, we had no clients. I couldn't assume that all my clients would come. That 90 days, my wife said, I was really worried about you. I mean, wow. it was very hard, very challenging, but I stuck to all those principles. And I remember I came home late one night, it was nine o'clock. My daughter was here. She had come visit. And I went down and did my yoga and she came up and she says, Dan, you're like a different person from the moment you walked in this house. I says, that's my yoga. That's wow. part of those success strategies, that plant-based eating. So I don't feel bad during the day and I don't feel bad. I used to have food hangovers, you know, yeah. the next day, you know, with it. And so it's really important for your people and everyone, I believe, to find those success strategies, recognize that we're human beings and build those support systems around ourselves. 
I love, I got so excited when you said I have three success strategies. I immediately started taking notes because <laughs> that's how I like to think is I heard, uh, actually this is hilarious, but I heard Dwayne The Rock Johnson talk about this right. like five years ago. I, I don't remember what it was from. He just mentioned uh, you need anchors in your life. Yep. That the unknowns, all that kind of stuff, you have an anchor that you do every day. And for him, it was the gym right. and family and a few other things. And I was like, I don't have anchors. I don't have anything that I stick to no matter what is happening. Yep. And so I started with exercise. I was like, well, if he's doing exercise, I'm going to do exercise. And, right. and then just slowly been trying to figure out what I need. And so I love that. And the follow-up question, just my curiosity would be in yoga. Uh, is there a specific discipline you like? Is it? Like well, I've learned or? over the years. It's yoga is a very interesting, I happen to do Iyengar yoga where we hold positions for five minutes so that we can really, but in my world, any yoga is good yoga cool. because it really, one of the benefits of yoga for me is it taught me how to love myself. Mm. How so? Be, because I was able to heal parts of me. It's not, it's not just a physical practice. It's an emotional practice. It's a psychological practice. It, it allows bringing the various parts of you together. And I remember I was in a particular type of a position and my body was saying to me, you're going to break me. Mm. But my mind was saying, I got to follow the instructions of the, of my, you know, instructor. And then my mind said, wait a second, I'm not here to break you. I'm here to, so there is work that gets done uh, with yoga that uh, it really ends up proving that you can heal yourself that you can love yourself and you can take care of yourself and when you realize that that hope comes back up yeah and that's really a great thing so i don't care what type of yoga i you know for me i came to it because i was very sick and i couldn't lift weights and i couldn't do anything else and it was my mother who said i have this woman she'll come to your house and all i did for months and months and months was what would you would call just stretch and breathe. And yeah. I noticed that I was getting internally strong versus lifting the weights where I was getting externally strong. Oh yeah. You know, with it. And that started my journey. You know, yeah, my wife. I don't care what kind of yoga you do. I'm a big believer in yoga. Find the one that works for you. Hot yoga, flow yoga. I like mine because it's slower. I can hang in there and I can notice and I can pay attention to what my body's saying, what my mind's saying, what my emotions are saying in a stressful position. Because these are not, you know, standing on your head is not a non-stressful environment. And first of all, by the way, you start at the wall. So you don't all, you know, <laughs> you don't start in the middle of the room. You know, you start with support. Listen, if I'm, my, if I'm in my 60s doing a headstand for five minutes, something has gone really right. So that's my I, that's I, my five minute miracle every day. <laughs> I am impressed, man. And I, about six months ago, I was I didn't realize how stressed I was. And I was taking it out on everybody. And I came home and my wife said, I booked a uh, I booked a session for you down the road at, at yoga. I'm like, what? I don't need that. She goes, you do need that. You're leaving. You're going tonight. And I was like, what is it? She goes, it's called stretch and settle. All you, all you got to do is lay there. I'm like, okay. I show up. It's me. And this was so beautiful, actually. It was me and probably five women. They were all, you know, 50 years or older. And they were the exact presence I needed. 
I know that sounds kind of silly, but like there was this nurturing, calm presence that came in. They were so excited. A young man was there. Hey, how are you, honey? And, you know, I was the one that couldn't do what they were doing and they were helping me out. But like, it was so amazing. Just 30, I, I was like, I haven't spent 30 minutes just laying here in months and just having time for my heart to settle, my brain, my body to settle, to check in. Oh, why am I in pain here? You know, and um, so I need to get back to it. I, I, I mean, that's I the part of yoga. Part of yoga is the contraction and the release mm. and being able. The other thing that I found out in the yoga that I use, because it's restorative yoga, because I went in there, is I one of my biggest complaints throughout my life is who's there to support me? I'm a father of three children. I'm an employer. I have to take care of everybody. Who's taking care of me? Where's my support? And the yoga through the props and the positions they put me said, oh my God, I'm being supported. I'm supporting it. And that was amazing when I say these kinds of transformations. I mean, we can go on and on about the benefits of yoga. Let's move on to some other topics, which I'm sure your listeners want to hear about. Well, this is why I don't have planned conversations because I have a feeling that a, a large majority of our audience actually needed this and okay. wasn't expecting I'm it. With you. So, I'm with um, you. Especially me as a coach and knowing the amount of anxiety, depression, stress-related things that people are going through, yeah. I think there couldn't be a more important conversation. So thank you for going there. Great. To wrap it up, I would just say, I always love getting book recommendations from people. So uh, are there any favorites you have? It could be around personal development it could be around oh, health or business or whatever all-time favorite when i when someone comes to me and they say i'm struggling i i need a direction i tell them the book that started me off it's the classic think and grow rich by napoleon hill yes was reading it's, it this the, morning. Read, it's the it, it, everything when i read some of the stuff that's out there it's it all has its roots it all has its roots in Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. That man was a genius in terms of what he uncovered. You know, there it is, right. It's there a great, it it's, I tell everybody, read it once, then read it again, and then, and, and then call me back. Yeah. You know, and then we can talk a little bit because to me, it's all about what your mind can conceive, you can achieve. We, there's so much about this world that we see it as three-dimensional, but there's this total, it's like the iceberg. You only see the tip of the iceberg, but underneath, when we think about who we are, our conscious mind is what runs us. It's yes. like it's like we got, a, you know, grabbing us by the throat and throwing us all around. We don't recognize the power of our subconscious mind, which is much bigger, much stronger, and can really plant the seeds that are necessary for that future growth. So yep. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill is the one I read it. I haven't read it in a while, but I live it. It's part of who I am because I believe that it's just that. Yeah. And then the other part of from Think and Grow Rich that I got was the more you help other people get what they want, the more you get what you want. Yeah, those were those two principles that I picked up at a very early age. Remember, money didn't grow on trees for my father. I had to figure out why some other people did. And Think and Grow Rich was a major, major book for me. And um, a lot of you said it's interesting you said read it once and then read it twice, because 
I read it the first time and I, and I don't think I was in the right headspace or maybe you just have to read it twice to, to really get it. But I, I went a few years without reading it again. And I, I picked it up about three months ago because again, I was recognizing how much my own mind was getting in the way, whether mm-hmm. my peace, my enjoyment or my confidence for what I was doing. And I was like, I'm going to try this thing again. And I've been taking my time. I mean, I don't, I probably don't go more than two pages every morning because I just need to sit and journal and think about how to apply this. But today was actually the subconscious. I'm on the subconscious mm-hmm. chapter that you just mentioned. And uh, I, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. So um, was there anything in particular that you, that you took? Like, did you do some of the stuff you talked about, like getting, writing down very oh, yeah. clearly what it is you want? And- Absolutely. Intention. It's all about, <laughs> see, there's a, now we fast forward to where we are today and everyone talks about whether it's um, present or the gift or uh, but, but the, it's, oh, the, the promise or I forget what the name of the secret, I think the it was secret. the secret, the secret. Yeah. And basically what it is is saying, you have to believe that it exists. The, what we don't realize is the, and if you understand and read and learn about quantum physics, this whole system that we think is three-dimensional, that we think we have no power over, is just the opposite. We create everything. Yeah. So, you know, there's a statement that I've heard, you're getting everything that you want. And we say, well, wait a second, I don't want that. Well, somewhere in your subconscious, you're feeding yourself what you're getting. So you have to learn how to reframe things. You have to learn to reframe them as you already have them. You have to create significant emotional energy about it. And the more that you do that, the more regularly that you do that, the, the world opens up. You know, I say, put your intention out there really believe it and let the universe handle the details. Mm. Now, it doesn't happen in a straight line. It doesn't happen as quickly as humans as we would like it, myself included. So you build other things around it, other strategy, other things that you've learned. But there's no accident to your point, Drew, that you and I are talking today. There's no accident for everyone who's listening to this, you know, to hear what you and I are talking about. Um, This is all part of my next set of three success strategies, which I just developed with my youngest son the other day. You know, one of them is arrows out. So it's about helping others, even though I've always been that way. But frankly, in the beginning, I was helping others because I had to help myself. Yeah, survive. So there was a there was that kind of thing. The other one is be interested. I spent my life building an interesting life but so the other one is be interested and then the third one is gratitude and really expressing it and understanding how grateful i am for the fantastic life that i've been given and created and it's more i still believe i've created it i know there's other people that believe it was given but i think we're in this co-creation and therefore you know it's um it's it's really so those are those are my first fundamental foundational three success strategies meditation plant-based eating and yoga and now i've got these next three that has taken me for my next 25 years yeah is 
And that's part of it. What's your 25 year plan? And I think when people start thinking, uh, it's hard to get a lot done in a day, but if you start thinking, well, what do I want to, where do I want to be? If we're sitting here 25 years from today, what has to happen so that you're happy with your progress? Oh, you got to give me 25 years. I could do this, 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 this. And yep. then you can start bringing it down and say, okay, what do I want to work on? for the next five years? What do I want to work on for the next three years? What do I want to work on for the next year? What do I want to work on for the next 90 days? What am I going to work on today? Yeah. You're all well, it, starts, it starts with that desire because that was what hit me the most early on in his book is he, he lists you know the critical ingredients and one of them was a very clear desire. And that is something I've always struggled with. I've, I've always struggled being very clear on what I want. Right. And so I just recognize like, that is part of the equation because how do you get something if you're not sure you want it? Right. Like, it's it's like know. Alice in Wonderland and the rabbit. Any, you know, the great line, you know, well, if you don't know where you're going, Alice, any road's going to get you there. Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> and so having that intention. So I would say having that intention and commitment. And then here's, here's the, what I think is a secret sauce is let's go back to anxiety for a moment, but it's really, so you get this intention, this is exactly what you want. And then all the doubts come in. Yep. All the reasons why it's not gonna happen. So now what I want you to do is explore all of them, make it okay, so that you can really explore all of the things that are gonna hold you back and then really exhaust the list. These are all the obstacles. And now look at every single obstacle and say, what would my ideal solution look like? And then prioritize your top three and say, I'm going to work on these three because it's natural. I had yep. the same issue. I'd come up with all this intention. It was all great. And then all the doubts would come in and I didn't know what to do with the doubts. So instead and of resisting stop. them and trying to make them go away, you embrace yeah, them. I embrace down. them because all obstacles are the raw material for your future success. Wow. Come on. I don't know if there's a better way to end this. Uh, that was perfect. And like I said earlier, this is why I like to have conversations like this. I know that could have, should have, would have talked to you about finances and wealth. And, but I think you were supposed to be here to talk to us about this because this transcends all of that. This is about who we are, who we are becoming, the quality of our life, the the intention of our life. Um, so I am very, very filled up. Thank you for this conversation. Drew, thanks for uh, your curiosity that took us here. I love, as you can tell, I love talking about this. Oh. I, love, I love living this and I love talking about it and I love helping other people to build those bigger futures. I really- Can I go ahead and invite you awesome. to come back on so we can have I'd, a round two? I'd love to. Be, be, send me an email. We'll set up another time. Uh, okay. put you, I'll get on the calendar. It would be my pleasure. I would love it. I feel like we just scratched the surface. And uh, if someone wants to uh, learn more about your group or you know, yeah. use your services, where can I send them? You can send them to, first of all, our website, which is www.interchange.com. C is in capital, P is in partners, interchangecp.com. Okay. They can just email me direct at ami, A-H-M-I-E dot baum, B-A-U-M at interchangecp.com. Perfect. Wow. Thank you. You have one person right now that's going to use that email. So uh, <laughs> we're trying to get more. 
Ami, this has been a true pleasure. Thank you again for making time and showing up with your heart and opening your wisdom to us. My pleasure, Drew. Thanks for having me. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.